I think one of the most powerful things, we talk about this a lot in coaching and coach training. As we go through a cohort training, are the leaders that are in the class beginning to identify as coaches? And I think if your program of instruction is powerful enough, by the time it's finished, the participant should begin identifying as a coach. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's J.R. Flatter here with Lucas. Hello. Our co-host, our millennial voice, <laughs> to compliment my boomer voice. I do a lot of coaching. I do a lot of coach training, as you know. And uh, one of the books I talk about the most, I just I had two coaching sessions today, and I have a mentor coaching session as soon as you and I are done. And I'm probably going to talk about that book in that session. And I know I talked about this book in the two coaching sessions I had today. It's uh, Atomic Habits. I know it's been on the market a while. Let's see, what is the date here in the publication? 2018. So five years ago, uh, it was published, but it's as relevant today as the day it was published. And I know a lot of people have done reviews on it and a lot of our audience probably heard about it or uses it. And so I just wanted to bring it into our podcast about how I use this book in my coaching, how I use it in my coach training. And then if we have time, I'm going to dive into my own atomic habits because I have my own atomic habits matrix that I think is relevant. Just to talk a little bit about the book itself, 2018, James Clear. And I'll, I'll just talk about how I what I drew from the book. He talks about tiny changes that have remarkable results. And I love his idea. One of his ideas in the book is this idea of the two-minute rule. And if you're going to try to change a habit, don't try to go cold turkey or bite off more than you can chew, but perhaps approach it two minutes at a time. And so if you have a habit you're trying to start or a habit you're trying to stop, go at it slow. And if you want to start exercising, exercise two minutes at a time. Every little bit counts. And as he says, tiny changes can turn into remarkable results. So he does a good job of uh, researching this from the fields of biology, psychology, neuroscience, a lot of practical research that he's done. So what are some of the lessons that, that I draw away from this or he teaches us how to make time for our new habits and several different methods for that. Overcoming lacks of motivation, lacks of willpower. One of the things I really love is designing your environment to make your success easier. So if you're trying to drink less, stay out of places that uh, would trigger you to drink. Stay away from events that might trigger you to drink. You want to stop smoking, don't go to the places that you naturally would smoke. 
and to give ourselves grace. We, we talk about this a lot in our coaching and our coach training. We're all human first and we're leaders second. We're however you might fill in the blank. One of the things he teaches you is to identify as to what you want to be. So what do you identify as? And if you fall short of that, I know you're a marathon runner. And so I, I would assume one of the things you identify as in your life is that you're a runner. But if you're like any of us that run, try to stay fit, you miss a run, you know, give yourself a break, get back on track. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, I always think about running when it comes to these like either training or like incremental steps to get somewhere like and you you mentioned like kind of when you're trying something new you don't want to take it a hundred percent and you know do it for several hours the first time or something because like if it's a physical activity you could actually get injured if it's a mental mm -hmm. activity you know you're not used to thinking in that way and you're gonna get exhausted if you try to cram too much at once so i definitely identify with that I think that's um, probably one of the biggest mistakes that I've observed in myself and in the people we work with is setting an objective and then, you know, running full tilt. I mean, one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a runner, whether it's a 10K, 5K marathon, is start too fast, right? You'll carry that monkey the whole race and you just can't seem to get rid of it. The same thing applies trying to change a habit, either create a new habit or get rid of an old habit. Start slow. We talk about, when we talk about goal setting, you know, set goals that are achievable, but scare you a little bit, not goals that are unachievable. And I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes people make. Even um, like the concept of, okay, I want to create a habit is a little like paired back and like more attainable than like, I want to run a marathon. You could say like, you know, I want running as a habit and it might lead to, you know, that lofty goal eventually. No, you're right. And that's one of the things that uh, James talks about. And that I think one of the most powerful things we talk about this a lot in coaching and coach training, you know, as we go through a cohort training are the leaders that are in the class beginning to identify as coaches. And I think if your program of instruction is powerful enough, by the time it's finished, the participants should begin identifying as a coach. So James tells us that one of the strongest ways to create motivation is when it becomes part of your identity. And so in my own coaching practice and as I'm training coaches, talking about regularly are the leaders that you're working with identifying as those things that they want to become. And so for my own Atomic Habits Matrix, I'll talk about this in more detail later, but what are the things that I identify as besides you know, some of those foundational things like father and husband and leader? And what are the, some of the other things I identify as that I'm aspiring to be? So a lot of changing a habit is aspirational. What do we aspire to be? It's one thing to say you're that type of person, like you and you're running. For me, I would categorize that as I want to be fit. 
and I want to be fit fits into my life's goals of seeing my grandbabies get married and leaving a legacy company behind. And so one of the things I identify is I need to be fit to make those things happen. And how am I communicating that to myself? How am I communicating that to the world? But even more importantly, how am I demonstrating that? And James would tell us the first step is to begin to identify as that thing. And so if you want to stop smoking, how do you become, how do you identify as a non-smoker? If you want to lose some weight, how do you identify as a fit person? I don't know. How, how, how did you start to identify as a runner, or as a father, or as a coach, as a, a leader, a computer scientist, a cartoonist? Yeah, What's I mean, your process? that that for me came with a lot of time and, you know, perspective, because I think at least for me, when I'm, when I was younger, I'm thinking like, if I want to be a runner, if I want to be this, if I want to be, you know, an artist or a computer scientist, I'm, I might have these people in mind or the career in mind. And it's kind of like this, it seems loftier than it is, but it's in reality, like you could easily identify as an amateur runner or an amateur computer scientist or like a journeyman as you have some years of experience. And, and I think it's difficult to like self-identify as like an intermediate and like, I'm not an expert, um, but I do have, you know, I have these amount of hours and you know, I've been introduced to the topic and I've, I've used it with my peers and things like that. Yeah. Like that initial step of like identifying with it, like, um, when you're very just green and new to a topic, I don't know if you identify with that as well. No, it is a process. Uh, and I think if you try to do it too early in the process, it's a false and empty statement. And so, yeah, I think it might be a self-efficacy to some point of when you've, you're able to convince yourself, yeah, I am, in fact, this thing that I aspired to be, and I begin to identify that. What you and I talk a lot about are goals, objectives, and key results. The way we define them, goals are those lifetime things. And there's... I don't want to split the academic hair too finely, but there's a big difference in our world between goals and objectives. What a lot of people call goals, I think you and I would call objectives that are contributing to those life goals. So you know, life goals of raising your children as a family, seeing them educated and creating some financial freedom. You know, those are life goals. They're going to take a lifetime to do. And the objectives that get us there are contributory and usually we look at those at one year and five years. But setting some objectives is very important to begin identifying and creating these new habits. And so you know, what are some objectives on your way to calling yourself a runner? I know for you it was you know, 10Ks, 5Ks, half marathons, marathons, what role did those objectives play in your creating this habit that you now have? When you were talking about, you know, the aspect of self-efficacy, that made me think about just like the fact that when you're in training 
part of it is you need to have this knowledge and this experience, but then also part of it is when you step out of the training, you need to feel like you're able to use it with confidence, you know? So you almost spend like a longer amount at the end of the training period, just like working on shaving off those edges and getting that self-efficacy to where it needs to be, even though maybe you had the skills right at the beginning of, you know, the 12 weeks or I mean the middle of the 12 weeks and you spend the last part just, okay, practicing so that now you can take that identity on easier. And I, I guess like you mentioned like the 10K and the, the smaller races kind of preparing you for, you know, your big run. I think we've kind of mentioned this in other topics, but like being able to reflect on victories and like in order to get this 10K, you had to do, you know, 100 runs. And then in order to do the half marathon, you had to do a thousand runs. So not only can you look at the moments where you had those successes, but you can track like all the preparation that got you there. Yeah. And we see this a lot in our training and we call it jumping off the tower. We use the analogy of jumping off the 10 meter diving tower. Malcolm Gladwell would call it reps, right? Getting your reps. Once you have those victories, well, however you measure them, nobody can ever take those away from you, right? Once you've done a marathon or once you've learned a song on your guitar, you know, those are yours. And they continue to build um, this efficacy that, yeah, I am getting that. I am getting closer. In coach training, we always talk about, you know, the first time you've given discovery to somebody. And we celebrate this all the time in training. When I'm doing mentor coaching performance evaluations, we celebrate it all the time because there's real growth in these sessions, even though they're in a, somewhat of an academic environment. Your coaching is never the same again. Once you have that moment that you've given someone discovery, and it just feels the fire. I think that's what James is talking about. He talks about those small steps and setting goals and how important those goals are. We've talked a lot about stopping bad habits, but also we want to be interested in creating good habits. So James breaks it down into cues, cravings, responses to those cravings, and rewards that you give yourself. So for creating a good habit, becoming a runner, not that that's good, bad, or indifferent, but I think a lot of us would consider it a good thing to be more fit. So what would be the cue to creating a good habit? James Clear would tell you, make it obvious. When do you know it's time to go for a run? It's on your calendar. For many of us, we are exercising. We aspire to be fit. It's in the morning. A lot of us could be during a lunch hour. Could be after dinner when the kids are put to bed wherever you are in your life and whatever makes sense to you. But make that cue to your good habit obvious. The craving, the craving for the run, the endorphins that you get, the satisfaction you get from playing a new song or the fulfillment you get from drawing a new cartoon, you know, make that craving attractive. So not only make the cue obvious, but make the craving attractive. And the response, make it easy. So if your response is to sit down and take some time 
to this thing that you're aspiring to be. Make that easy. So have your gym bag packed, have your running shoes by the door, your socks already in them. Get up and you're ready to rock and roll. And then the reward, what reward are you giving yourself? Make it satisfying. So if your reward after your morning run is a good breakfast or a hot shower, uh, whatever it might be. So creating a good habit, cues make it obvious, cravings make it attractive, response make it easy, and then the reward make it satisfying. And then just the opposite, if you want to stop a habit, make that cue as invisible as possible. So if you think you're eating too much, so I'm a, I have bad eating habits and I'm constantly snacking and going into the pantry or go open in the refrigerator, make those opportunities as invisible as possible. Don't bring those things into your home. Cravings, make them unattractive. You know, find some way, look at the calories on the back of the package. The response, make it difficult. And the reward, make it unsatisfying. So creating good habits, obvious, attractive, easy, satisfying, stop the bad habits, make them invisible, make them unattractive, uh, make it difficult and make it unsatisfying. Yeah, the fact that you can kind of set yourself up for success. And yeah, like I've heard like, oh, put your running shoes and your you know, mm-hmm. your gym stuff right next to your bed. Like you said, pack your gym bag. And then like something that is on my mind a lot, and I don't know if this is like under one of those categories, it could be like my reward is like, it's like this mental thing where I I believe that I'm going to like lose this skill or like, especially for physical things like running, it's like you trained for a marathon six months ago, but now like five miles is really difficult. <laughs> so it's like that kind of like ego thing and also like like why like i've already gotten past this before like why is this so difficult like oh yeah you almost like once you get started back up on that like it the pain kind of reminds you like you know this this is why i like keep the habit at least once or twice a week in between training (laughs) and i've also found that just the opposite is true so when I don't work out for a while and put any time limit on it, but the older I get, the shorter that period is before I have to dig myself out of a hole. And I just chuckle as I run because when I run now, I'm exactly half as fast as I used to be. So my PR is when I was your age or now I'm running exactly double that. And I just have to chuckle about it. But I also discover once I get over that curve to entry, the satisfaction that I remembered as to why I was doing it in the first place. The, the endorphins, the uh, introspection, the relaxation, as hard as it may be to believe that a long bike ride or a long run can be relaxing, but it is. And so I, I have to remind myself, okay, once we get over this curb to entry, uh, we're going to start enjoying this again. You think about like, you know, a nice, beautiful May day or June day like this and, and how like, it just feels great to be outside. And like, those are oh, the yeah. memories that you're associating with, you know, running outside and in the trails and things. So 
that's super rewarding to have like, okay, like your most spent outdoor time is doing this habit. So, so last thing, and then uh, I'm going to jump into some specifics of um, my habits and just you know, throw them out there as, as maybe examples of how my thinking is and how I use this, this book and, and all of the tools in the book. And I've sort of withdrawn this from the book and not necessarily a direct lesson, but some limiting factors on what I will and won't do. And then also a mission, a mission statement with regard to my habits. The first one's a limiting factor. So we talk a lot about opportunity cost. What am I doing versus what I could or should be doing? I just had this conversation this morning with someone that I'm coaching. What do you have the courage to say no to so you can say yes to the things that are necessary to actually do the things that you want and need to do? So if you're identifying as something, not only what do you need to say yes to, but what do you need to say no to? And so you need boundaries. For me, those boundaries are if it, it does not add to my atomic habits, it doesn't get in my calendar. And I've, I've got three categories. You can have your own categories. Everybody will have their own categories. Um, we talk about building your own house of leadership. Everybody gets their own house of leadership. So for me, if it doesn't contribute to my mental or physical fitness, it doesn't go on my calendar. If it distracts from my mental or physical fitness, so that's the first two, mental fitness, physical fitness. And the second one, if it doesn't contribute to the growth of my business, our business, we love what we do here, but at the end of the day, revenue has to exceed expense. So I'm really trying hard to ensure that the things I'm saying yes to are contributing to the growth of our business. Everything else, I have to take a really hard look at and say, why is this on my calendar? Now, community service and other self-activities go in there. Those are the large rocks. And then finally, what is my mission? If you read Shakespeare, I'm in the fifth act of life. I'm the justice now. I was a soldier for many years, as Shakespeare would define it. But now I'm in this fifth act where I'm got my glasses, I've got my belly, and all I do is tell stories. Um, that's my place in life now. Uh, but as a coach, and as a coach trainer, uh, I consider my mission to awaken people's drive for their fulfillment of self, family, and team. So are the things that I'm doing contributing to that? Are the things that I'm saying yes and no contributing to my limiting factors? How are you managing that opportunity cost discussion that we're always asking is a father, a husband, an entrepreneur, yeah. a scientist. I guess um, like something that was on my mind was just, and I guess I was kind of touching on it, but this anxiety or like not necessarily an anxiety, but if you set a goal for yourself, even if it's just in your own mind, it's, kind of taking up mental space and you're thinking about it and almost like analyzing and pre-planning. But the only way to kind of like quiet that, and you mentioned mental fitness, the only way to kind of, if I need to go do something else and use a hundred percent of my mind and I'm thinking about this goal that I have set that I, that, you know, it's 
eating away at me a little bit. It's like the only way to calm that down is to take some action. And, you know, when you're, oh, I want to make a book or I want to make a movie or something, when you're kind of thinking about it and and you need to write a script, so, okay, open Microsoft Word. In those moments, you're kind of feeding that that desire that you have. And, and hopefully when you switch tasks to another thing, you're able to give it your full attention. So I guess in terms of like having multiple things compete with each other, I think you have to like admit when like something needs more attention or if it's, oh, it's taking my mental energy because I'm not taking action, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because more and more lately I'm thinking about not time management, but energy management. Probably the two newest additions to my calendar. I have a color-coded calendar that has different categories of activity, color for health, a color for leadership, a color for revenue generation, color for family and friends, color for community service. So I can look at my calendar and see, do I have the balance that I want and need? So two new additions are Reveille and Taps, trying to be more purposeful and disciplined about when I get up in the morning and when I go to sleep at night, because I've allowed myself to wander away from that kind of discipline. And it's draining on your energy to not have those two things in your life especially depending on who you read, uh, getting up at the same time every morning. It's so important to setting that internal clock and then going to bed in sufficient time that when you know you have to get up the next morning, are you getting enough rest? Let me jump into my, uh, so I have a picture in front of me that I look at very regularly. And it's my interpretation of what I've learned from James Clear in his book, and it's got some columns in it, if you can envision an Excel spreadsheet. And the first column for me is, what do I self-identify as? And for me, it falls into just a few small categories. I'm fit. My social media and my writing are fulfilling my mission. So the time that I dedicate to those. Uh, I'm a lifelong learner. So those are the three. You might have plus or minus categorizations, but for me, uh, after a lot of thought and a lot of trial and error, those are the ones that have emerged for me. And so what am I doing? What are my behaviors to demonstrate to myself and to the world? I'm fit. My writing is contributing to my mission, my social media presence, and being a lifelong learner. So I'm fit. I work out. My alarm rang this morning at 5 a.m. I'm up. I'm out of bed. Put my feet on the floor, and I'm out the door uh, exercising for whatever I've just scheduled for that day. So that's my cue. My alarm is my cue. It might seem blindingly obvious, but am I responding to the alarm? And the craving that's pushing me away from that is I want more sleep. Almost every human being if given the choice, would hit the snooze button a couple of times. But I found if I do, then I'm going to hit it again and I'm going to hit it again. So 
what is my response? I go to bed on time. I get out of bed when the alarm goes off. And I complete my workout as planned. So one of my rules for uh, this challenge is no decision reversals at either the cue or the craving. So if I've got in my calendar, I'm going to do a five-mile run, and my cue is my alarm and my craving is to avoid or shorten the exercise, I, re- I push that craving back. And I do the run that I've planned to do, unless I've injured myself or something else occurs that's causing me not to do that. I'm fit. Self-care. Lack of sleep. What's my craving? I have a freak work ethic. I always want to work harder. What's my response? I'm going to follow my work schedule. I'm going to follow my sleep schedule. What's my reward for both of those? Mental and physical fitness. Very important to me. I'm a lifelong learner. What's my behavior for being a lifelong learner? Studying, growing, um, reading, um, listening to podcasts, engaging in developmental conversations. I don't read as much as a lot of others, but I keep track of what I read. I have a goal or an objective for the year of how much I want to read. If I've got writing time in my calendar, which I put time to do that in my calendar, I take that time and I, to the best of my ability, do it. What's my reward? I'm always trying to become a better facilitator, a better coach, better coach trainer. So my reward is the students who are graduating and the leaders that I'm coaching and the discovery that they're making. What am I trying to stop doing? I mentioned earlier, I'm a snacker. I have a sweet tooth. Uh, I'm a foodie. So I've got this lifelong battle of not being a disciplined eater. What's my cue? Food enters my mind or food enters my sight. What's my craving? I want to be satiated. What's my response? No unplanned food. So if it's not on my schedule, I'm not going to do it. And what's my reward? Mental and physical fitness. So just a, a bit of an example of how I've taken this, uh, made it a practical tool in my own life. I use this in a lot of sessions. I won't say every session that I'm coaching. I certainly use it in my teaching. It's one of the decks in our catalog of coach training. I was thinking um, a lot of it kind of comes down to like this accountability and discipline. And like if somebody is watching you or asking you to do it, um, you might have a better tendency to deliver than if it's something that you just asked of yourself. So, you know, like on the reading thing, like, you go to school and, you know, they have you analyze Shakespeare and this and that. And you were mentioning all the things you identify as, like something I identify as is like a media savvy person or like somebody that analyzes media. And I was noticing with myself that like, if I'm not reading books, like I'm not really sharp in that. And it's like when I was in school, I would have, you know, instructors giving me books and things like that. And almost after that, had this feeling that, oh, I don't need that. I'm, I'm going to do what I want. You know, just movies and TV and this and that, like other entertainment will replace that. But having that discipline or the self-reflection to notice like when things that like you had to do 
because somebody was asking you to do them, maybe they're worthwhile, like even if nobody's pressuring you to do them. Yeah, and you, you've reminded me of how powerful it is to have tools and people in your life to help you be accountable. A lot of people running groups, bicycling groups, for that very reason, they have somebody there at 5.30 waiting for them. They're more likely to, to go get dressed and get out the door. I don't know, you know, last couple decades of my life, I've been a solo rider and a solo runner, probably because I'm too slow for everyone else. <laughs> Or maybe embarrassed about how slow I am. Nobody wants to run. (laughs) (laughs) But the people in my life know, I hope, that these are the things I aspire to be, even though they're not on the road with me. They know that I I consider my fitness important to me. I consider myself to be a lifelong learner. And I talk about it all the time. How am I demonstrating it? And how am I having them help me be accountable? It's really, really powerful to have that in your life. And, you know, one of the primary advantages of having a coach is your coach is your perfect, one of your accountability tools. Uh, We talk about journaling a lot as a developmental tool. Journaling is a conversation with yourself to hold yourself accountable. So if I look back six months and I say, you know, by June, I want to do this. And then I'm journaling in June. Gee, I didn't get any closer to that. Nobody's responsible but myself. Yeah, like that's that's totally part of the reward system. It's like next time you have a birthday list or a Father's Day list, like put your aspirational hobbies instead of like, you know, you're like and for me, I'm I don't want to put like, oh, give me a bunch of video games. I want to say, <laughs> give me a pair of running shoes, you know, like something yeah. that's going to get me outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being here. Um, any final thoughts as we head out the door? No, I mean, just, yeah, like at the very beginning, just take it one step at a time, it sounds like. Yeah, Lao Tzu. Journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. All right, my friend. Have a great day. And uh, see you next time. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.